0: Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Bebea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller.
1: I'm Jamie Chen.
0: Hi, I'm Nathan Schiller.
2: Hola, I'm Ines Bebea, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Our guest today is Andy Kusser, Executive Director of Students Run Philly Style, a nonprofit group that mentors 1,500 students through running every year. But before we get into that with Andy and the onion or no onion debate on your favorite Philly cheesesteak, let's start with our sports legacy segment.
0: All right, so today's Sports Legacy is the inaugural Philadelphia Marathon, which took place in 1954 under a different name and different course than today, and was won, of course, by a New Yorker, Ted Corbett, an African-American whose pioneering work with distance running has never really been properly celebrated or even understood by today's running community. So, Andy, I want to start off by asking you how you and your colleagues and mentors get young African-American kids in Philadelphia engaged in a sport that historically does not really represent them?
3: Hey, uh, thank you guys so much for having me. First off, I'm really thrilled to be here. Um, so the way students run Philly Style works is we pair volunteer uh, adults with Philadelphia and Austin Camden youth, um, and they train side by side for a long distance race. And just as you said, um, the, this, the young people that we serve in our program are, are predominantly children of color. Um, about 80% of the students in our program fall under that category. And um, But you know, I think for us, it, it's always just been about, let's, let's take this amazing vehicle of running and let's see what can happen when we, when we really introduce it to new students. And just as we, we learned, I mean, we started off as an anti-obesity initiative, get kids off the couch and good things will kind of come but quickly realized that all that time being spent side by side with that adult, um, everything was coming out. These relationships were getting so strong and it became way more than just the physical piece of it. It became about setting big goals, about kind of talking through adversity. Um, and our program has grown. Uh, and in year one, we were in, uh, focused on really affordable housing residents and, and uh, some, some health centers around the city. And by word of mouth, and the success of its program year after year, it, it went from fifty youth to fifteen hundred youth so the programs really uh, recognizes is, its unique space and, and bringing young people of color into into the running long distance running world um, and has really done everything we can to continue to build on this and, and whether that means work with our mentors who happen to be white if they're and, and kind of work them through their narrative and, and understanding how the best kind of communicate across different different groups, or to the other side of it, and, and working to help increase the number of mentors of color in our program. Um, it, it's a giant commitment. We have an amazing group of people that come back year after year, uh, giving so much time to these young people, and it's just incredible. I feel incredibly privileged to be able to be at that finish line and see them some kind of re- reach these big goals.
0: So, uh, Andy, can we go back to the beginning? You mentioned that you were. Um started as an anti-obesity group, but with very small numbers. Um, can you tell us about like how exactly it came into existence? Um, and th- this was in 2005, is that right? So yes. it's been about 15 years and you've had a lot of growth, but like, what was the real, was it just looking around and saying, you know, people need to get young kids need to get in better shape. Um, there's a obesity issue in our city or in a specific demographic, and we want to tackle it? Was it as simple as that?
3: So um, the way it kind of came to be was there's a a program called Students Run LA in Los Angeles. And there was a a foundation president who was out there and saw this and was like, this is amazing. And started having conversations here back home in Philly. And uh, an opportunity came through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to say, "Let's, let's take something that works somewhere and bring it somewhere else. And um, that's under the the kind of leadership and vision of of uh, the the founder of the program, Heather McDaniel, uh, just said, "Let's let's do this, like let's go for it." So they applied for the grant, they got it, and uh, that's kind of how it came to Philadelphia. Uh, I think you know, as as we've matured as a program and grown, um, we've found different ways to to grow and 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 you know differentiate ourselves from, from students in LA, but they they're 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 doing amazing stuff over there too. I mean, they, they serve, I think they have around 3,000 students who run the marathon each year. Mm. Um, so we, we have a little more struggles with the weather and uh, given the fact that the summer is tough and the winters are even tougher in Philly. But um, overall, that's kind of how the program came to be. I, I'm, I think I might've
0: missed the second part of your question. I think that sums it up. Okay. <laughs> we got a lot of stuff. We were not gonna get into everything. So we'll just keep it coming.
2: So Andy, your program is from March to November, three days a week, and open to all Philly students, grades 6 to 12th grade, right? To run either the Half Marathon or the Philadelphia Marathon at the end of the term. How are the students selected, and what is it that you're looking for for them as to like why they're interested in, in the program?
3: So, I mean, we, we open it to anyone. There, there, we don't have any, all, all we ask is that our students embody the, our, our values of courage, effort, and respect. And, and for us, courage means just showing up and being there and trying it out. Um, so for us, it, it, there's the, the only barrier to entry to, it, is just a desire to be there. Um, so for uh, the way the program kind of recruited students is often we've kind of moved more towards a school centric model where most of our teams meet at schools relatively shortly after school. Um, And that's kind of 70% of our volunteers are principals, uh, teachers, counselors, kind of name it anyone from the from the school system. Um, And then the other 30% come from kind of all walks of life but uh, as a result, we're able to recruit just kind of often by word of mouth. So people will see our students coming in maybe after a big race with their medals, and then they'll say, oh, how do I get part of that? Or the new shoes, they earn new shoes when they run the first 20 miles. Um, so all of those things kind of can create a lot of uh, excitement at, at, at the schools that we're in. And as a result, we've seen enrollment grow pretty significantly from year after year at, at these individual schools.
2: So you mentioned your three core values, Jeff and you say courage, respect
3: and effort yes and
2: effort so why why are those three the foundations that you want kids at this age these very like impressionable ages to be um uh, exposed to
3: that's a really good question and um those the core values kind of were established before i took the reins at, at students front but um the way we talk about them are i mean with for us if someone can show the courage to show up and be there and, and try and set a big goal put the effort in to do it, and then show respect to, you know, the, the race, the people around them, their fellow students, the mentors who got them there. To us, that kind of rep- was very representative of the journey um, from, from day one practice to, that, to the finish line of their milestone race, whether that's, so we have um, one model that begins in March and, and goes through to the Philadelphia Fuller half. And we have another model that begins with the, um, the, basically the start of the school year and culminates in the, the te- broad street run, which is the uh, largest 10 miler in the country. And uh, for us, it, it, that's the journey. The courage and respect, if you can value, show those values, we know you can get to that finish line. Um, and we, we believe every student can do that. And the all of the adversity they had to overcome to get to that finish line, all the times they had to wake up when they didn't want to wake up or go to that race and they didn't want to go to that race or an injury, whatever they're, they're working through, when they cross that finish line, um, we know those core values that will, will really translate to all aspects of their lives. And it's something we've seen time and time again and are, are really proud of our students for showing us.
2: So who cries more at the finish line? Is it the students <laughs> or you?
3: <laughs> I would say I have a giant smile on my face at the finish line the entire time. Uh, but yeah, yeah <laughs> they're very emotional moments that it's hard. it's hard when you look around and everyone sees someone struggling into that last those last like 10 steps and just making it or those incredible moments where one student will kind of carry in another student um and and just they turn to their mentors and just you can see how much in their eyes the appreciation that they have for all the like support that took them to get there um, we actually have an event right after our milestone races our appreciation event where we open up the mic to our students and give them a chance kind of Invite everyone there and give them a chance to kind of appreciate the people uh, who helped them get them to the finish line. And it is always one of those tear-joking moments. Like, there's not, there's not a dry eye in that in that room.
1: I'm pretty jealous. I <laughs> wish, uh, I wish I was in Philly to be a mentor. I mean, these kids sound magical. Uh, speaking of mentors, um, what does your mentoring consist of? What makes being a mentor unique? I think you just touched on how some of your volunteers are teachers and principals. So uh, I guess, how do you find people interested in being a mentor?
3: So the running community has completely embraced this program. So we, we are everywhere. When you, we go to, it's hard not to see a thousand students in the same blue shirt at any race and now not ask questions. So who is that and how, how, you know, how do I get involved? So um, the, what we, you know, our, our mentors give a lot of time and that's the hardest part for finding great mentors. It's if you're gonna give 10 hours a week, it's like a second job for a lot of people. And, and it's not just a, a, you know, it's, it's not like you're sitting there and coaching the kids. You're, you're running with them. You're, you got to hit that hill too. And it's, there's a whole element of uh, the a level playing field when you're running side by side with a young person. And I think that's what makes it so, um, such an amazing commitment of our volunteers, but also what makes it so valuable. Uh, the relationships you build are just incredible. Uh, I had the privilege of, of running with one of our teams and, um, I still am very close with the students that I ran with. Uh, they reach out to me whenever they have questions or things. I mean, it, it's become like a, a real uh, relationships that I value and I hope to value across
0: the rest of my life. Um, Andy, I have a question about um, like all the students, eight, uh, 80%, right? Four out of five are students, people of color and half of the mentors are or not half, but half that percentage, 40%. So it's a pretty good, um, it seems like a relatively good, you know, groundbreaking um, balance that something that is not really in running and distance running because it's predominantly viewed. Something we've talked a lot about on this podcast is like a white male sport. Um, I'm wondering, like, those are good numbers, but yet a student who is of color and is young and says like, oh, I want to be, Um, I want to see people who are like me running, but they might not get paired with someone like that. So I'm wondering like how you strive to, you mentioned it a little in an earlier answer, but how you strive to like, you know, keep working towards some better, not that like I'm talking about quotas or anything like that, but just how do you, how do you keep pushing the envelope to create a better, more diverse real world situation for all of your team?
3: That's, yeah, that's a great question. I It's something we are always striving for. And it's, more, you know, we don't have a, a goal number to hit, for instance. But we do know we want to address the present and work towards the future. So I think in the present, um, all of our mentors are required to do a, a pretty significant training with us, uh, especially pre-COVID. It was, it's like a whole day event where we bring in. Whole bunch of experts from running form to um to mentoring 101 and some of that is around racial literacy and i think that's one area where we've really prioritized our trainings to make sure our running leaders feel um like they have the skill sets and tools to to be um great mentors even if they may be you know a different race or may look a little different from their their students like to us we want to make sure that they feel empowered to be incredible mentors, because they really are. They're amazing people doing amazing things. And I'm sorry, there's a a police car going by. Um, uh, So I think that's the present piece of this. Uh, uh, The other element of present is, we've been trying to work a lot with some of the uh, kind of um, the affinity groups around Philadelphia, like Black Men Run or Latinas in Motion. Um, These are different groups that really are focused on particular segments of the population and building community within running and for us like for instance over the summer we did a panel uh with a whole bunch of those different groups and said like you know just ask questions students and it was it was the idea was to build the bridge when you leave students run there are amazing communities that you can continue to work with uh we have a ton that come back to students run. we love that but there's also these other groups that they can they can instantly feel like they have a community of people that are running and look just like them or, or have the similar background. So uh, that's kind of the present piece of it. And we've been looking a lot more at the forward piece of it. And how, how do we uh, find more mentors of color? Uh, we, you know, it's something that's we need to work on. We, we would love to have more. Uh, we would love to have a one-to-one ratio. You know, we are far from that right now, but we would love to get to that point. And, uh, if that can mean getting that many more mentors of color, that would be a wonderful thing for us. Um, but we're also looking at other ways that we can have an impact in the next generation of runners, and that's partially, you know, how we're who we're partnering with for races right now. Um, I, I, the Philadelphia Distance Run is a. Uh, I don't know if I can get into that. If that's jumping too far ahead, but. Um, Philadelphia Distance Run used to be one of the, the, probably the premier half marathon in the country. People were coming, elites are coming from all over the country to this race, it was super fast, for, records were broken there left and right. Um, and after years of its uh, in operation, um, the Rock and Roll Marathon took its place for a number of years. And uh, when Rock and Roll announced they weren't coming back to Philadelphia, students run Philly Style um, and our local running store, Philadelphia Runner, and a uh, marketing and race ops firm in Philadelphia called RunHouse, uh, our three organizations came together and said, this is an opportunity. Let's, let's use this to bring back the Philadelphia distance run. And when we're doing it, um, let's not just make the, bring it back to this incredible locally run elite race that it once was, but let's use this platform for some real social change. And so we're seeing this as an opportunity to kind of address those, those sentiments that you mentioned, Nathan, around are our, our young people saying, you know, when I look around this this space, I don't see myself in ten years. I don't see someone that looks like me. Um, so how can we use this this incredible race, this this kind of instant once institution, and hopefully soon to be an institution of Philadelphia once again, for meaningful change? And uh, the idea around it is is can we make it the most diverse and inclusive race? That we possibly can, from how we're using bibs and working with local community organizations to having a non-binary prize money and race division. We're gonna we're really looking at it from every angle of this race um, and making sure that everyone feels welcome there. And then what can we do to really start to build out the running community of Philadelphia to be more representative of Philadelphia? Uh and and if we can achieve that. It becomes a a wonderful place for our students to to really see themselves in the future of Philadelphia running
1: Well, you mentioned pre-COVID, you know, mentoring um, training, but now during during COVID I think 2020 was a challenging year, especially with um, uh, A lot of things that we've now had to pay attention to particularly Armand Arbery and George Floyd so have you had to revamp your mentor training program to really learn how to have those discussions with um, the kids on issues that they are starting to feel uncomfortable about.
3: Hey, that's a great question. I, I think we we've um, we have an awesome associate director of mentoring who's who really and training. and She really focuses on how we can revamp those year after year uh, to be able to address those situations when they they unfortunately arise and. I think what we re- focused on at first was making sure they were had the resources and um, outlets to ask those questions, um, at least our, our m- mentors at first and, and our students, obviously. But um, we really focused our first kind of wave of support on, on making sure our students and, and mentors felt supported. Um, but then we wanted to be a little more proactive. So over the summer, uh, we hosted a series of, of conversations that were really around social justice and health justice and, and those issue and like issues that, that our students are, are facing on a daily basis and unfortunately seeing um, that 2020 really kind of put in the spotlight all over again. Um, and for us, it was an opportunity to have those difficult conversations. So we, we facilitated some from a staff level and the feedback was really incredible. Our, our, our students felt like they got a lot out of them. So it's something we're building into our model moving forward is, is ways to continue those social justice conversations.
2: Last year, there was an article in Runner's World by, written by two of your staff. And what I found really interesting is also that, that it was written by them, that guess to kind of let the world know about your program, where over the last couple of podcasts and just the conversations, we've kind of tried to figure out what exactly is Runner's World role in the diversity discussion of like running? You know, like why didn't they, sent a reporter to talk about this and look at the largest aspect of the issue instead of just letting you prepare this piece for them. And then also at the end, a lot of there was um, first person, um, I guess essays from the students saying how they wanted to see more diversity in running, how they themselves noticed that When they went into the program they're like oh there's not that many people that look like me as the mentors and like you just said like they were also like you know being aware of the discussion of like race and running so i guess you know so the first part we can (laughs) go back to the first part how did how did the article with runners world come about the fact that you gave it to them as opposed to them doing a piece on you
3: so uh, runners world did a piece on us uh, the year before and it was it was a great piece it was in their print and it was we were really proud of, of how it turned out and they spent a lot of time with our program and, um, when when the quest like the the conversation around inclusion and diversity in the sport became um, kind of at the forefront I would say this summer I mean it was a really big point of conversation um, we talked to them and said is there you know it, it's been an ongoing dialogue. They didn't, they didn't say like, will you guys write this and give it to us? I think part of the process was determining what would be the most um, effective way to convey it. And I, you know, Lauren, our our program director and Aisha um, thought that their voice would be strongest in telling the story because it is a, it is a first person narrative in a lot of ways. I mean, it's when we go to a race, like that's an experience that I think it's really powerful for our team to be able to talk about and say, like, this is what I see, um, as opposed to kind of statistics and and a more traditional um, kind of uh, reporter version of that. It, It was a really powerful way for us to be able to say, like, you know we are standing with our students and this is what we see but most importantly we want you to hear their voice so for us it was an ongoing dialogue with run as well they've been a, a wonderful partner with us when it comes to something like this and so um i don't want to misrepresent how it got there but I, it was definitely a collaborative process
2: no because i think in in previous conversations is i think in the same way that the marketing happens with like you know with, um, you know, supporting brands, where it's like the picture that you see is always like a white person, like a white guy, you know? The person that you see on the cover of like Runner's World tends to be either like, if it's like a person who's African-American, it's a professional athlete or entertainer, but not your average person. Whereas like, you know, the other covers, it's just a regular white person who's running or a model. So in, you know, you introducing the students to run in where they already see that the lack of diversity. I was just curious to see how that conversation happened, especially when they share like, yeah, I would love to see. I think that one of the kids talked about that he was training for a marathon and he ran next to this woman for like 16 miles, this white woman, and how they talked. And then he felt like, you know, like if people treated me like that, I will have a better we will all have a better understanding of each other, so just like the impact of that that just to show that the, the kids are very much aware of the disparity
3: absolutely I mean, and this is something we've known for a very long time we We see it, we talk about it, we talk about how we can be better uh, a better support to our mentors, a better support to our students and it's always at the heart of our conversations, and I think. The one, the one positive of COVID is it's given us a little bit of capacity to think about some of those future oriented pieces that we can, that aren't directly, you know, in year one, this, the Philadelphia distance run isn't going to change the the narrative around, around race and running at all. But if we do this right and we show commitment to it over the years, we can not only lead the way and help show other races how we, great ways that you can do this, but, and that but also reaffirm to our students that we, are, we see it and we're working towards our steps to make it better. Um, you know, we're a, a youth serving nonprofit. If we're not spending our time and resources focused on, on the young people, um, people are gonna be you know, skeptical of it. So for us, it, it freed a little capacity to think about, think bigger around how can we have that future looking piece of it. Um, but it, it doesn't change the fact that we are having those conversations on a daily basis. Our, our mentors are doing it. And we want to be supportive and make sure they feel equipped and, and like they're ready to have a successful conversation. I mean, those are hard conversations to navigate. Um, and sometimes it's, it's just about being completely open and honest. And I think that's something that we have to continue to do and continue to foster amongst our, our, our mentors and students to have those hard conversations. You know, we, the courageous conversations are tough ones to have sometimes. But if you can have them, uh, the relationship gets stronger and, and together you can help, you know, get to a solution.
2: And how did you have the conversation with the students about runner safety? I mean, that was evident with what happened with my Arbery, but, you know, I know like for women, for us, that's a constant concern. Um, Now, you know, after this, you know, I'm at murder happens. How do you talk to the kids about, because you said like the kids that run with you are 80% African-American. So... Either get into running they're not only going to run with their with with you and their mentor they might want to run on their own how do you talk to them about that about the safety of running and being aware where they need to go and where they should be and how they should do it
3: um so we um one thing about our program is we give a lot of autonomy to the different teams if you will so depending on where you are and where you're meeting um we've had People work, you know, some of our teams meeting in a um, at a, a school where the neighborhood is, is pretty dangerous around them, where they they run their whole practice doing 10, 20, 20, 30, 40 laps around their school. I mean, um, it's it's evident in a lot of situations where so part of part of that autonomy though comes with those discussions and understanding that you know, talking about roots and talking about safety. And um, our, our mentors do a great job of doing that. But it, it, it's easily, relatively easily facilitated because of the environments where they're running. Um, we are in every zip code in Philadelphia, every zip code has its own challenges. Um, if it's running through a tough part of town or avoiding a certain block or whatever it may be, I mean, having those conversations is the only way to do it safely. So um, it, bec- it it's a relatively natural conversation. But I, I, you know, I don't think we have a, a a uniform kind of policy on on how to train a student about safety. I think it really is is location and and individual specific. That um, we really ha- encourage our, our mentors to work with the students on depending on what they're facing at that moment.
2: Well, what I mean about safety is in regards to one, you know, where there's like racial profiling. You know, like like a black kid running in a white neighborhood, like you know, how do you prepare them for that? And, like, it's also in a sense, like, I know one of our, our guests, uh, Peyton Thomas, talked about when she was running in the woods, you know, like, a, a man came and basically told her, like, you know, you need to get on my property, blah, 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 whereas, like, we've had conversations where, like, people who are not, you know, white people tend to be safer in those spaces. I just mean that that aspect of it, because, one day a kid may not be able to run with you guys but he wants to run in a different area that's what I mean about the safety of of running
3: so that's that's a really great question um and I think a lot of it comes down to uh really just talking about being open and honest about certain questions like you said like if there's a a, a certain neighborhood where people may profile students. Then being able to have those conversations and and be you know talk to them how they feel about it. And um, what we like to do is we 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 you know students run is a, a mentoring program. We we really encourage all of the men the the, the running to happen together whenever possible. So um, for us the the a lot of those safety concerns some of them go away because. You see a number of kids and students aren't Philly shirt, and and most people know what that is at this point. Um, but I, I think you're right. For us, it, it, it becomes to some planning and conversations. If students are going to run on their own, they work with their mentor to talk about where they're running, what they're going to do, um, both from from the safety point that you brought, but also from like a physical health state you know standpoint to make sure they're not running too far and and that they're really thinking about their, their what they're going to do and where they're going to have water and things like that. So. Um, it it, for us it comes to the planning but i think that's a a forward thinking training that we probably should put a little more attention to that we probably haven't put enough towards at this moment
1: particularly when i think as they if they go to college or they move to different cities um and then they just feel like it's normal to run because they grew up you know just running with a group of kids and then they just think i'm in the um, you know, suburban Arkansas, but I feel like a run, and then I guess they encounter a different type of audience that may not be receptive to them running freely.
3: Yeah, I, I mean that's that's a, a an area that we probably could beef up our our conversations with our students. With um, we, the one thing we always do is is encourage uh, students to find kind of their people, and mm-hmm. we hope that you know when they're running in college that maybe they're finding a group that they want to run with and. Um, I think we hope that some of those lessons could, can be a nice way to, to mitigate some of those issues, but it's probably an area that we probably need to focus more on about, about how we're talking about that in the long term.
0: Um, Andy, can you tell us about um, Mile Up and sure. the, the diversion program, the restorative justice stuff that you're doing, how it came to be? I think this is a very unique program, but um, our, audience and certainly I and us are curious how did this all happen?
3: Sure so um, at one point students run uh, Philly style had was getting a lot of questions from other cities like hey can, can you bring it here can we bring it here and the board of directors really fo- had a big conversation uh, with our staff we put together a strategic direction that that said let's keep focusing on Philly but let's try to reach populations in Philly that we weren't reaching previously and we have a, a number of students who are in the, you know, are court involved in, in one way or another, um, but we weren't working specifically in that in that space. So um, we worked with a uh, an organization called the Northeast Treatment Center, and they're responsible to kind of manage a lot of the probation and uh, house arrest kind of requirements of the court for for young people who um, have went through the adjudication process, and. Um, we just started to say, let's, let's try it here. Let's see what we can do. Um, this is actually the team I ran with, so I, I love this part. But um, we, we said, let's see if we can get this group of kids to, the, uh, to a 5K and see how it goes. And we did, and they loved it. And we said, let's do an 8K. And we got them to an 8K and they loved it. And then our goal was, let's see if we can do Broad Street Run. And over the course of this period, um, we had student, none of our students had any violations of any of their court requirements and um, parents came to the finish line which is something that was pretty pretty rare uh, when working with a lot of court-involved youth and students who had graduated all the requirements to the court kept showing up which was something that was also extremely rare um and it gave us so much confidence that this is a space where we want to be um so we started conversations with the district attorney's office and knew that um let's let's see if we can push ourselves a little bit so we we, we had lots of conversations over the course of over a year discussing like what would make sense and how to do this right. And ultimately that's how Mile was designed. And it's a program now that is for students who are facing felony level charges or charges uh, like the second or third time offenses. And what happens is um, they never go before a judge. They are diverted by the district attorney's office to our program. And if they comp- once they complete the milestone race, they have the f- charges formally dropped against them. Um, their victims are paid all the restitution that is owed to them. And their, um, their arrests are put into queue for automatic expungement. So um, it's been incredibly amazing to see this program grow. We've now had oh, oh, just uh, over 40 students go through, our pro- go through this program and um, only two rearrests at this moment, which is incredible when you look at the comparison to the Recidivism rate for for young people in Philadelphia, especially at these level of charges, and um, we've we've just seen it grow and become a, a model for what diversion could be, and and how we can keep kids out of the juvenile justice system using like this powerful m- marriage of of mentorship and long distance running. Um, it's the same same kind of model in so many ways, uh, and it, we're just really excited to be able to talk about it and and, and try to grow it over over the next little bit.
2: So, as a former attorney um as you said, you sold out kids in court. How do you see the impact of my lab in the kind of stopping the school to prison pipeline because, as you said, like if students have felony charges before they're like eighteen, like if you could even just you know pretend that we're from Mars, we don't know what the legal system does to someone that has a felony. How does that impact you having a felony at 17? It goes with you throughout your entire life. You could just talk a little bit about that.
3: Sure, so I mean, uh, there, there's amazing statistics on this. and I, I should probably memorize them by now, but I'll do my best. Um, for students who are put in placement, which is the equivalent of like jail for young people, um, the likelihood of, re- of returning to the system, it, it's it's incredibly high. Um, so avoiding avoiding juvenile placement is is something that I'm I'm personally truly passionate about. Um, any options we can do to do that is is just it it you know it's it's a big reason why Mile-Up is happening. Um, other pieces of it that are really important to it is when when a young person commits a crime um, and there's a victim of the crime, there's restitution. That's the money owed to the victims. Money that they you know whether they broke a cell phone or at hospital bills or crashed a car, whatever those costs are, they become kind of on the, um, they follow the student. And if they can't pay them off by a certain age, um, they can go back into the system. And so it's really designed, the, the way the restitution system is designed in Philadelphia just is keeping young people in the juvenile justice and then ultimately the adult system. So for us, it, it, if we can stop it before it happens, if we can never have a young person before a judge, um, to me, I think we're gonna see some amazing reform and amazing opportunities to really change the you know, the narrative around around young people in, in the justice system. I mean, there's so much information around brain development, how it doesn't fully happen till they're 24 or 26. And there, there's all of this science behind why, um, you know, locking a young person up is, is just incredibly detrimental to their future. That if we can be an example how positive youth development, how strength-based youth development um, or sports-based youth development can be effective strategies for keeping students out of the system or, or giving them something to help build their confidence or goals so they can set it across their lives. I mean, to me, that's, it's the ultimate the ultimate marriage of, of system change and uh, the power of mentoring and, and, and achievement.
1: Well, you mentioned that uh, often that you're, the DA is referring a lot of these students. Um, so, not often are they seeing a judge to make that determination. The kids, they're not. They haven't.
3: Right. The, the my lab students will will ideally never see a judge. I
1: mean. So what have you what have you learned about the criminal justice system for these kids that have surprised, shocked, or angered you? Do you see that? Maybe there. Do you see a bias in the way that young people of color are being treated versus white young children? What about male versus female?
3: Absolutely. I mean, yes. On on, you know, racial racial bias, without a doubt. Um, it, it's it's evident when you look at who's in the juvenile justice system. I mean, that alone. It, it just it. Everybody makes mistakes in their lives, and unfortunately, young people of color have to pay much more dire consequences for those mistakes. Um. I see myself in these kids, you know. I, I one little mistake can go can can absolutely create a a long standing kind of weight on the shoulders of these young people, and it, it just it's 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 horrible. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a a really big thing. I think the other piece of it is around socio economic status. Uh, there are a lot of the restitution piece is a really clear example of that. If you are from a position of privilege and your family can pay that off that no that is a barrier that just goes away but if you can't afford it and all you're doing all you're able to get is these small opportunities to do some community service here and there to, to help pay it off i mean that's something that takes years and years and years and um it's disproportionately affecting people from lower socioeconomic status so i, I mean there's the, the juvenile justice system is riddled with bias um, and I I think anything we can do to start showing from the outside that there's more powerful alternatives is, is the way we can begin to chip away at that. Uh,
0: Andy, I I want to go back to a comment you made just now about your passion for this. And you mentioned that you kind of see yourself in these kids, but why, like how, how did this, what happened? You know, how did you grow up and how, like, not how did you evolve into an adult, but what was your childhood like? Maybe with running, or with you know, criminal justice system, or with instances where you saw um, severe biases in our society and in your city, because you're a native Philadelphian. Um, what like really, what really drives you to care about this so much?
3: So I, I first off was a uh, like a, a long distance runner throughout middle school, high school. That was kind of my my sport, that uh, and basketball and. Um, you know, I, I definitely saw the value of it in terms of the the mental piece of it and physical. Like pushing yourself it had the physical effect, but after a long day, the the mental piece became really clear. What how much it was clearing your head, my head, and and it was just really valuable for me. Um, I I would say like you know, a little fist fight can turn into for for someone who can afford to get out of it or someone who is white can can wipe away and nothing ever happens to that person. But that same little fistfight to a young person of color sees a very different trajectory uh, too many times. Um, and to me, it, it, it's just, it, it's so evident to see that. The, so when you hear about the, some of the stuff that these students are in trouble for um, in the program. I mean, it's, we had a student who was throwing rocks into a reservoir. Granted, shouldn't throw rocks into a reservoir, but that becomes a, a terrorism charge against you. And, you know if you can't see yourself doing something like that at some point in your life and and it, it's just it's so easy to, to be able to place yourself in that situation and know like I, I can't imagine that that would derail my life the way it would for this one particular student um, and it, it's just it's it highlights those biases it, it kind of calls them out and it it's something that instilled in me very young just a a passion to help close this gap, this, this unfortunate situation. So um, that's, I think, the, I think that's what drives me so much with, when it comes to students run in general, like this, the model and why it works, but definitely when it comes to Mile-Up and why I'm so passionate about um, really kind of trying to drive reform from the outside.
2: How do you keep the students um, interested, you know, not quitting? I mean, because is hard, <laughs> I've, I've had many training yeah. seasons when I was like you know what why am I doing this like like I'm done you know like you see all the memes about like runners like I'm never doing another marathon and then you get the medal I'm like oh yeah let's do it again but I get <laughs> the kids you know how do you keep them interested how do you keep them motivated
3: I think um there's a couple things one we, we recognize that completely so knowing that like for most of our students running is never going to be something they come just being like I love running and let me try this it's often through other way, other directions that they're getting here. But um, we try to incentivize things. I think one thing is 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 helping celebrate milestones is a really important part of what our program is. Um, so when students run their first twenty miles with the program, they get a brand new pair of shoes. Um, when and then we try to do kind of things like that, like a fun race in their training plan to allow them to get enjoy the post race thing where they get to eat all the everything that's in the post race line and and whatever kind of little things that those booths are handing out. I mean, really all of those those incentives uh, become really great things for our students. And what we've noticed is once they get to that first race, a lot of them become hooked. Um, it's just a great environment. I think everyone who's ever run a race can know that the post-race environment is great. Now, take that post-race environment and throw a 1,000 kids on it, and it becomes even better. Um, and that's a really cool thing about students around it, that it, it, it creates its own party wherever we are. Um, I think another piece of it is, uh, we spend a lot of time on on reflection and having our students reflect on what they've achieved and what they've done, and I think that creates a, a really cool sense of pride and and um, in our young people. And for us, I think for a lot of students, they who who you know this is an opportunity to be really proud of themselves and and do something that maybe the, the other people in their family haven't done, and that's a really awesome moment for a young person. So. Um, I think that's the probably the the biggest way I, you know, we, we try to keep it fun. We try to try to mix it up with different, uh, you know, just this last, just this week, we're actually doing like donut runs where we're going to all our students and and bringing a whole bunch of donuts to all their runs. And if they, they finish the 5k, they all get their donut, you know, it, it's finding ways to just make it unique and different, um, keeps them coming and keeps them excited.
1: That sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> I think, Another difficult aspect for me, I think, was nutritional, um, nutritional intelligence when it came to training for running. And I know that you had originally started as um, a group to help deal with child obesity. So nutritional health and access for good nutrition to me sometimes is barriered by economics and um, you know access. Have you had that incorporated as part of uh, training these kids?
3: Um yes, unofficially, and, and we're starting to officially as well. So uh, I think it's it's becomes pretty organic to have the conversation like, all right, we gotta race tomorrow. What are you gonna what are you eating tonight? And maybe let's talk about this a little bit. Um I can say from personal experience, I had a student who got super dizzy and then and started throwing up and we had to sit down and talk about what he ate that day, which was a bag of chips, and had to say, you know, that's not you're not gonna be able to keep going and doing this if that's what you're gonna eat. And um, our running leaders are incredible. They'll bring like bananas and healthy snacks to to practices just out of their own kindness. It's not even something students are necessarily is a, is supplying, but they those conversations are happening. Um, they happen pretty organically, but we definitely have to have some some of those more uh, intervention conversations around it as well uh, when we notice something. I think, but uh, most recently though, when we we built out our school year model, we had an opportunity to do. Um, a winter curriculum. So during January, it is, I mean, you guys are in New York, right? And so the, you know that. <laughs> when snow starts happening, like it just shuts things down and, and running's not happening. So um, we built on a winter curriculum that allows our team to meet during those inclement weather days or the days where it's way too cold to go outside, whatever it may be. And one of the modules for that is around nutrition. So uh, we're finding more formal ways to have the conversations, but I can tell you from firsthand and and just from general knowledge of our program, those conversations are happening all the time.
2: So earlier you said that <clears throat> the kids, once they, the first time they run 20 miles, they get, they get a pair of shoes. And <clears throat> also uh, in doing our research, we've seen that you pay for the race entries, you, you pay for nutrition, you pay for the shoes. Uh, because, you know, as we said in the past, like uh, access to run-in could also become about financial access. So you're already taking away that away from the kids to be able to enjoy themselves. So how do you pay the bills? And how do you get companies to partner with you for these children?
3: Sure. Um, so we, um, everything is free. We, we are very passionate about that, not just for our students, but for our mentors as well. Uh, we want to make sure that, that that's one, just one small way we can show our appreciation because without them, it doesn't happen. So like you said, we want to eliminate all the barriers to entry. We want to make sure that, and it goes beyond shoes and raise, I mean, if a student comes to us and says, I don't you know, have any shorts, we will get them shorts. Uh, I need this, we will get them that. Whatever it is, like we, there will never be a student who, who can't run our program for lack of resources. And, and that's something we're very passionate about. Um, we're lucky to have great, great partners, and I think that helps make it possible. Uh, right now, we partner with Diodora, and they are our, our shoe company, and they have been um, you know, based in in, in Italy traditionally, but they've, they've moved their national headquarters to Philadelphia, so we get to have a, a local connection, which we are really excited about. Um, they actually do some of the shoe work in North Philadelphia, which is even cooler because we can say, you know, made in, in Philly as well. Um, and I think, uh, you know, finding great partners like that, that can help, help make this more affordable to us is, is critical. Um, it's, it's that, it's donations from the community, uh, both kind of closed donations. Sometimes, you know, that's critical, like we said, to get kids shorts so they can, they can run. Um, I can tell you, first first practices, we see a lot of students showing up in, in boots and jeans. And um, after you run your first mile in boots and jeans. Like
2: hey, great uh, but- runner style. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and most of them realize pretty quickly that, that they want to stop running the boosting Jeans, So, um, kind of making sure we have the the that kind of those resources for our students. But um, we are a nonprofit, so we are are raising money all the time. Um, we have grants from foundation, local family foundations, to to larger larger foundations, to uh, a grant from the state. Um, I mean, we really are individual gifts, corporate gifts. We, we The whole gamut of, of nonprofit fundraising makes this possible. Uh, it is not cheap to do what we do. Uh, bringing that many buses to anywhere and that many pairs of shoes, getting in and out the door, just it, they're, they're big bills. So um, we are incredibly grateful to have a really generous donor base that, that cares about what we do, sees the value in what we do, and, and is continually supportive of us. Have,
1: have you ever had to reject any partnerships or donor bases that you felt were questionable?
3: Um, we've had conversations around certain uh, donors, and um, I don't want to call out particular donors, but I want to say that uh, we, we've actually moved away from, yes, we have moved away from from certain donors uh, based upon some, some extenuating circumstances related to um, some of the work that they are done.
1: I have a quick question about kids and body image. Um, <laughs> I remember I was uh, at the track with a few of my running friends, and they all—it was winter, so most of the, the guys were wearing really tight um, running tights. Uh, and there were some high school kids playing lacrosse, and they started to make fun of the guys. Do your kids ever, um, you know, ask about running clothes? Because sometimes running shorts could be a little short for guys, and the pants could be a little tight for guys in the winter.
3: So. Um, the run, the, the runner, traditional runner shorts are not popular with our students, <laughs> and I think we could probably all guess that. Um, but I will say, it, it seems like young people like tighter fitting clothes now more than they did when I was growing up, because it, people are asking for much smaller shirts and sizes than 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 we have seen. So it seems like it's actually the style of this, the next generation is catching up with that, and um, we're seeing more and more young men wearing really tight clothes and that seems to be something that wasn't popular when I was growing up, but, but seems to be pretty popular now. So, um, but body age in general, absolutely. I mean, yeah, um, we, we see it. We recognize um, that there are, there, you know, this is a different style and different, you know, when you look around at the running community versus a different sport, it, it's definitely stands out in a lot of ways. Um, but I think, you know, we we just want to meet our students where they are. So. We we will never, um, you know. All we ask them to do is is that make sure they're wearing our, our blue shirt. And uh, from there, we want to be supportive of, of any particular individual issues that people might be having. Um, we actually just great uh, founded uh, got a partnership with Wazell, uh, who is now outfitting all of our young young girls with with sports bras, as well. Um, and that's been a really exciting new development that has been really uh, great for us. Another kind of one more thing to be able to offer our young people to feel like they belong and be great in this sport. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else related to that. It's definitely something we're, we're careful of. You know, we, we, we want people to wear the students run uniform as, and that's a, that's a nice way that we can kind of navigate that safely um, And a lot of those conversations. It's, it's easy to stand on. No, we're at a race you should be wearing the students run, sure.
0: Um. Andy, you mentioned all these partnerships, and like it's, it's great that you all have such a supportive community um, and a lot of people to get money from. You also mentioned that you get a little bit of state money. So I was curious if you could talk a little bit about um, you know, tying together the notions of public versus private funding for something like this, because you have this incredible program that serves so many people across the city or in every zip code. It works really well. And yet, at the same time, you're using language to describe it like we're lucky to have. So because you're a nonprofit, you have to raise money. And hypothetically, conceivably, someone could just say, you know, we're having a bad quarter. We're not going to we're going to cut our funding. Uh, you know, we're having a bad quarter in our corporate sales doing some other line of work. So we're going to cut our, our charitable stuff in half. And the downstream effect is, you know, you have to then find alternate funding. Um, so it's a kind of non-stop uh turning in this world but does it have to be that way and could like what do you think about um you know if you have this incredible stuff getting it to become more of an accepted public like i don't want to say mandatory but just there's taxpayer money that supports things like restorative justice and all these programs for young kids in the communities.
3: Yeah, I, I think, you know, 2020 was a great example of that. A lot of our corporate corporate sponsors didn't have the sponsorship money that they normally do. Um, and we took a hit. And, you know, that's as in my role as the executive director, that's something that I'm thinking about all the time. How do we make our our funding as diverse as possible so that, if on a rainy day we're in a good spot, and and luckily we've had some great fundraising years where we've been able to build a catch reserve that can help support you know those rainy days. Um, but you know we we would love that opportunity for for it to be more, you know this is this is money that's always earmarked and guaranteed to us. I mean that be that would be fantastic. Um, we've had a really great run with the Department of Health and this this grant that we got through them. Um, support our new new young our new young people in the program and new mentors and it's been um, it's allowed us to the capacity to really grow but I mean we if if yeah we're constantly thinking of new ways and creative ways to to raise more sustainable revenue then we not have to worry about year to year I think one of the reasons why um, the Philadelphia distance run is is different is we are a part owner of this race too I mean if the race does really well and takes off and and there's a lot of profit from it I mean we're going to get some of that profit and that that would be an incredible ongoing resource for us um you know that that we're excited about that race because it hits on so many things including what you just said around around the funding so this the short answer is we're trying every every way to to influence different groups different ideas try new, new new ways to bring money into the organization so that we can continue to do this and grow and continue to grow in this space year after year
2: so you mentioned that the financial impact of the pan from the pandemic. What about the psychological one for the kids? Given that you know a lot of kids had to do distance learning, I'm not sure how Philadelphia if they did the in school, out of school. that whole- We're still there.
0: We're still out
3: of school.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the impact on them, for you know, for one, that they're no longer. How, how did how did you guys? work through that because now they don't have access to the mentor they're not access to see each other to run together how did you make sure that they stayed committed that they stayed mentally strong and that they stayed committed to continuing running in school
3: so yeah I, this was a really tough period for our young people um, we saw a lot of our students not leave their house at all for 10 months I mean mm. not house at all um, and this has been, I mean, we're seeing it, the the instances of young people asking for mental health support has went significantly higher across the country and, and Philadelphia is no, no stranger to that. Um, so when, when, when it kind of, the, orig- the original lockdown shutdown happened, um, what we tried to do was follow mentoring best practices and, and that is to close off that season in a way that felt like there was real closure to it. Mm. So. So oh, um, we followed kind of all the best practices there to make sure that we were supportive of conversations around why this, you know, why we weren't gonna continue to finish that year out for some of the students who were maybe going for the Broad Street and why that wasn't gonna happen. And having those conversations around, well, what's gonna happen next and making sure they felt supported and, and understanding on what we were thinking and what's gonna happen next with the organization. But um, lucky for us, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, the, the city opened up a little bit and uh, outdoor running, at outdoor workouts were um, allowed. So outdoor teams were not allowed, but outdoor workouts were allowed. So we were able to kind of maintain programming and still have meeting as uh, students meet up. Um, but we did it with all the PPE that, you know, we could give out. We gave out, you know, masks and hand sanitizer and and water bags and you name it, just making sure our student hydra- hydration packs, making sure all of our, um, we could do it and do it safely. And and luck, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any uh, young people or spreading of any COVID amongst our teams. And um, we followed six feet rules and, and it, it, we were allowed to keep going, which was the, kind of a great thing for us and our, our young people because, what we learned, I mean, just being outside, doing something physical um, when everything else was shut down was an incredible outlet for our young people. So our, our most recent evaluation um, showed that although stress levels went up as COVID continued, uh, the impacts the program were having, even though we were operating a smaller level and, and meeting sometimes virtually and um, was, still, was still there. And it was something that we were really proud to be able to continue to go and offer our young people Um, We also had a chance to purchase some um, tracking watches, and uh, that allowed some of our students who may not be able to take, you know, the way Philadelphia works, if you go to like a charter school, for instance, it pulls from all over the city. Um, And if you weren't allowed on public transportation to get to that, you know, where your team was meeting, well, we wanted to make sure you had the opportunity to continue running, continue for your goals, so they would run on their own and then share it with their mentor and then meet virtually to have these conversations. So... Um,
2: is that the
3: course map. Yes. Yeah, so, course map is our our um, that is our our program we use to try to track miles and and make sure that it kind of follows our whole safety protocol. So, um, our our mentors can't. It, it follows through the whole process. So, they can't meet with the students until their registration's in, and then they can't they can't have contact with students until their uh, safety checks are in, FBI and and the whole nine yards. So, it, it pushes us through our kind of fidelity to our model a bit and um it's it's our way to communicate with our students and track their mileage and show their progress all in, in one spot
2: but that sounds great because i guess it, sh- it kept them accountable like you know you could see where you're running you can share that with your family and you know i'll get a way to just get like i guess we all need that accountability buddy um yeah so and yeah, I,
3: I think see. that answers your question from earlier that i forgot i was wanting to mention but it's so very like the, the amount running with a young person like, kept me accountable. There were so many days where it was like a long day at work and the last thing and it was some, my kid had a fever or whatever it was. And I was like, ah, sorry, I got to go to practice. Like, and it, I have to be there for these guys. And I feel like the same way. By the, by the end, they felt like they, they owed it to me to be there too. And it was this awesome kind of accountability that we're holding each, each other to. And I think that's what happens across the program.
2: That's great. So tell us more about the work with the Temple University Sports Industry Research Center for the Children's Hospital.
0: <laughs>
2: <I'm> <laughs> like, I really you got that correct. Because yeah. oh, I, I, uh, I saw that in your packet as far as like that's how you guys are able to show the impact of your of the program. So tell us more about that.
3: Sure. So um, Temple has been a partner, our valuation partner for years. They do our Pre and post surveys, our focus groups, just kind of—it's a way we can show our impact to the to the external world, but also how we can drive change and make programmatic improvements. So, I'll give you one example of that. We um, one, before we had a school year model, about half of our students would start in March and end right after Broad Street. They would just quit, and. Uh, and it was largely because the summer was too hard, whether they, it was that charter school issue that I dealt with or whatever other reasons the, the summer prevented them to continue. So we, the mentoring research is pointing to this whole idea that the length of the relationship means so much. So what we did is we looked at our data and we looked at all this information through Temple and, and determined that those students, although having some impact, it was not nearly the impact that the lar- longer season was having on the students. So we were able to take that information from Temple and, and then transform our program. So we said, anybody who was going to just do those three months, we're actually going to pull you back and start you in, in September. So now you're having a nine-month mm-hmm. program too. Um, and that's, that's been an awesome thing for that. Our, our program, our, our evaluation with CHOP was focused on adverse childhood experiences, um, ACEs commonly referred to. And that is just a way that um, the the scientific community has identified kind of some of the adversity that our students are, have experienced in their lives, the trauma that they've experienced. And it's a scale and um, you know it's basically anyone who has a, four, a, sc- a score of four or higher has a much bigger chance of long-term health impacts, future incarceration, I mean you name a negative outcome for a young person and if they have four or above they are like the, the likelihood of that happening is way higher. So. Um, what we did is we worked with CHOP to evaluate the where our students were on that kind of scale. And what we learned was over 90% of our students had experienced some type of adverse child experience, trauma. And um, I think the number was uh, 42% of our students had a four or higher. Um, and what was really, you know, it, it's a terrible statistic when you learn this, but what was the 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 silver lining of this was we were having an impact. And mentoring research often kind of puts the sweet spot in, in the middle of, of kind of adversity. So if, if someone has nothing in their life, they say like, "Nah, eh, don't worry about it. Or if it's too much, it might not be an effective strategy. It, mentoring research has traditionally said that that middle group is the best area for it. But what we showed with that research with CHOP was actually we were having an impact on, on that high level too. Um, which again is helping us make these big picture decisions around like mile up and how can we find other groups that may fit into that category more and more and continue to expand our impact.
2: So, and earlier you mentioned that you you guys are part owners or is it the Philly distance run? If you could talk a little bit about that, how that came about and yeah. Sure you guys you know that's part of your your revenue
3: yeah so so hopefully uh this will be the first year we're bringing it back it's in september and we are thrilled to to be able to um to you know we're working towards it we're still kind of navigating the the covid world and what's going to be safe and how to get there and how to make sure that we're providing a safe opportunity for our runners but um it, it, it was it came together as as we were trying to figure out if there was a way for students run to be more involved in the, in the, the not just the being at, at races, but also putting on a race kind of uh, aspect of the running community. And when the opportunity arose, uh, our partners and I got together and we, we said like, this is, it seemed like everything aligned at that moment. It was not just um, that we all wanted to bring this back, but, you know, and that there there was this window now where we may be able to, but we were also all really passionate about reaching different parts of the city, um, and and for us it was you know making. I think for all of these groups, Philly writing scene can grow. It, I mean, we're a big city, but we are an incredibly unhealthy city. Twenty nine percent of Philadelphia adults have not have not done any physical activity in the last month. I mean, mm. that's it's that it's that's terrifying. Um, and so, I mean, that, that's on the adult level. And, and one, out of, uh, one out of three students, or one out of five, excuse me, one out of five students in Philadelphia uh, had zero physical activity in the last week um, is generally. So, I mean, this is, there's so much room for growth here. Um, you know, we know races can be expensive and, and shoes and all, there, there's elements to it, but in the grand scheme of sport, uh, running does have some of the least amount of barriers you know, financial barriers. So what we want to do is try to use this as an avenue to to make those changes and and really truly be a, a, a place where everyone feels welcome. And uh, and how can we introduce this this sport and this awesome opportunity to to different parts of the city where it is not common to go through certain parts of Philadelphia and see someone running. I mean it is it, it's the opposite of the norm. Um, and so we we want to help change that narrative so we're we're trying to be creative around how we can use this race to do that and um you know we want to make sure that that people feel welcome so everything from registration to the day of that no matter what your background is no matter how you identify that you feel like you belong here um and you can you can push yourself here and that's what we want to do so we're going to have a 5k for new runners we're going to um you know, we're, we're going to work with some community organizations to give out free bibs to help start new running groups around the city. Um, we're going to offer free training plans and we're going to work with shoe vendors, you know, the whole every aspect of what we want to do, even even our vendor selection. You know, we want to open this up to vendors who aren't at traditional races, maybe, and make sure that we have more minority owned businesses, more female owned businesses more, you know, you name it like we wanted really this to celebrate the diversity of the city. Um, and we know it's twofold. We can't just make it diverse. We want to we make sure first it's inclusive uh, and that people feel welcome there. And then once that happens, we're going to make a real push to try, you know, and data. We're collecting data that when people sign up for the race, like we're going to ask the race or ethnicity. Um, we want to baseline it and hold ourselves accountable to it. We want to make sure that You know, we say we're going to do this, but this isn't this. And we know year one, we're not going to be perfect, but we know by this, this big commitment to it, that if we continue to hold ourselves accountable, if we push ourselves that, you know, even if we fail and and trip and mess mess, and one initiative doesn't work the way we want it to, well, we'll have the data to show it and we can say, okay, we'll try this the following year. So it's the long-term commitment, I think, of our partnership um, that, that makes this so exciting for me. Uh, to really make this something special, and and like you said, the, the being a partner in it is something that's really unique. You know, no, normally races are either all nonprofit or all for profit, and here's this this hybrid of a local non you know local nonprofit and local for profit company coming together with a shared vision to make this uh, bring this race back to the awesome status that it used to have.
0: So we're gonna um, get to the hot mic in just a moment, but you can see we part of I think what I really love about our podcast, if I may say so, is that we ask a lot of process questions because that I think helps make it more inclusive. It opens people's eyes to how things in the running world can happen. Um, I don't know if you have to give us the full answer if you want to, but we live in a, you know, we incarcerate the most amount of people in the world per capita by far. And you and your group went to a justice system that does that and kind of one, with your program, how did you do that? You can't in America just waltz into a DA's office and say, you know, I have a better idea than locking up kids for throwing rocks in reservoirs. We're going we're gonna to have them run. How did you convince people to make that happen?
3: So I think it's twofold. One, we're lucky right now. um, Our our district attorney, Larry Krasner, is one of the most progressive in the country. Um, He also, he shares a a similar belief that we should not be locking up our young people. Um, And so that opened up the door a little bit, but I think what really opened up the door was, we tried it and it worked. So when we did Mm. this work with the youth on probation and and house arrest, I mean, if you make something work, it's hard to say no to it. It's, hey, look, like, look what happened here. Can we try this? And there was a lot of back and forth. Like, yeah, I can, I, it wasn't an easy process to get there. But I think um, it's twofold. One is, you know, it was a little opportunistic. We were lucky to have this particular district attorney, um, you know, leading our, our, our district attorney's office right now. And, but I do think the other piece was, um, and this is something I, I really believe in. It's, do the right thing, show that it works. And, uh, and pe- it's hard for people to say no to that. If you, if you say, like, look at these statistics, look how much money I'm saving you. Look at the headache that I'm taking off your plate. Look at the victims. I mean, we are paying back the victims within 30 days. That is unheard of in the world of restitution. And so imagine being a victim of, a, I mean, that argument alone, imagine being a victim of a crime and having to be getting phone calls from the district attorney every three, every nine, every six months, whatever it may be, while you're waiting for that, that restitution money to come in. Um, that's, that's, that's like a lot of trauma to go over and over and over again uh, for, for the victims. And so we, we thought about it from that perspective too. And we said, let's build something here that, that no one can say no to. <laughs> like our outcomes on our students are better. They're not getting rearrested even close to the rates in which they, their, their peers may be um, based on statistics and we also can build this amazing economic argument we're coming to the with all this money i mean we're not asking the district attorney to pay for it we we raise the money for our restitution we raise the money for our students to be in this program um so it's really hard to say no to someone who comes to you and says i have the money i have the the program that works i have the experience to do it and like your naysayers are going to get paid back so much quicker they're going to be happier that you do this um, so to me, it's it's you know do the right thing and and make sure you build the case that no one can say no to you.
1: Sounds like uh, I think your um, your legal background has helped you a lot. You used to work as an attorney, but you took a pivot and you're in the nonprofit world. Can you tell us a little, a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, um, I I mean I always wanted to be in the nonprofit sector. Uh, I thought for a minute it would be in the legal services, uh, play, you know part of it, but. I think I had an epiphany in one moment where it was a, um, although you're helping a lot of people in really meaningful ways, uh, a lot of the legal service work, you know, th- you're always going to have that pile of folders that that show up, those clients that are still coming to you. And to me, it, it, it felt like I wasn't, you know, although helping individuals, I wasn't getting the um, satisfaction feeling like I'm helping the, the, the larger kind of pipelines or systems or whatever it is that's that's creating that situation in the first place so um I I knew pretty quickly that 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 was my passion was was starting to come up against the 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 functions of the legal service world and uh, so then I I had an opportunity to join the the national office of, of big brothers big sisters back when I was in Philadelphia and um and begin to work on that other side of it like the the kind of the preventative side if you will and that's where I learned the power of mentoring and, uh, you know, was really had amazing mentors in that space that taught me so much about using evidence base and understanding the research piece of it and, um, and program design. And um, it was an incredible opportunity for me to, to start to get, fulfill those, those elements that the legal services weren't fulfilling for me. Um, and so that's kind of the, the rationale behind my, my pivot.
1: Well, I think you uh, have helped us understand so much about what these kids need, and I'm just really impressed. And I think at this point, we are going to pivot to our hot mic session. This is where you get two minutes to speak on any topic that you would like, anything that
3: you'd like to leave our listeners with. Sure. Um, So, I I mean, I think, can can I split it between two topics? Each you know,
2: our doing us, Given that you are our first Philadelphia guest, if we talk about cheesesteaks, the first, the best spot, or the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, or Allen Iverson's legacy,
3: oh, you're and nailed.
2: how many times out towners ask you to go to the Rocky Steps? So feel free. You have two minutes.
3: <laughs> well, I will say absolutely. Allen Iverson is the greatest basketball player of all time. Sorry, George. <laughs> Um, pound for pound, the greatest player ever to play, and just embodied the city in the most amazing way. Um, the thing about Philly is there's really it's a very neighborhood centric town, um, and I will say Allen Iverson is one one, but sport in general has been an amazing unifier in the city. Um, you can go anywhere on a Monday morning or or you know Sunday morning right before the Eagles game, and you will. He- a thousand people will say go birds to you as you're walking out of wawa or walking out wherever you're going uh it's an incredible thing that brings the city together and i think that's it's pretty amazing um but like that i mean to use up the rest of my time i would say the distance run is going to be like that so i would suggest anybody who's not in philly who's interested in in being part of this awesome race please let us know um we are going to be opening up registration soon we'd love to have you be part of this race and come see it and um, and learn more about it. Our our expo, it, you know, if we're allowed to have it the way we want to, it's gonna be, it's gonna be different. Uh, we're gonna have community organizations getting booths, and we're gonna be giving ha- having talks that aren't just about avoiding kind of Achilles injury. You know, we're gonna have some of that, but we're also gonna have the the speakers talking about inclusion and diversity in the space, and and social justice and health justice, and all of these great um, aspects that that running can can address. Um so yeah, sport is the great unifier and we'd love to continue to use use running as as one of those ways to do that.
2: Time.
0: Well Andy, unbeknownst to you I've been timing and you are well under the two minute mark. That's a 136 and only 14, 15 seconds on Alan Iverson, though you did come back to him and you got in your Wawa reference. I knew all the Philly guys were the same. Uh, all the Philly people gotta get in the wawa. Um, thank you so much for being here. This has been incredibly illuminating, and you are our inaugural Philly guest. Um, wow. Our, our <laughs> This has been our great. City-
3: I love I love your guys' questions. I love that you're you're pushing the conversation. And um, I will say this: uh, you know, we don't have all the answers, but as we come with them, I love to continue the conversation and, and share more that we learn because. Uh, this is definitely not a, uh, we know this situation. This is a, we're, we're working and doing our best. And you guys even gave us a great idea today. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to have this conversation with you all today.
2: So before Nathan closes, I think we have to like, you know, it's called, cool, let's it get uncomfortable. We had a moment, it was like an uncomfortable question that you didn't want to answer. I think when we talked about the sponsor, someone that you said no to, that you didn't want to drop a name, but we have to ask it. Uh, Without saying their name, what things will make you say no to sure. a potential sponsor?
3: That, that's a great question. Um, and this is, this is one that I think nonprofits struggle with. Because um, if you look close enough at wealth, um, you will at some point find it was built on the backs of someone else. Um, and I think that's something where it, it's really hard to draw a line. Um you can follow it back to something and, and 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 there is inequality in which it was created and and for us it 's hard to draw that line um, as a you know it, it's it 's an ethical question that 's really hard it 's well if they 're going to give away this money anyway, I know I can do something amazing with it, so why shouldn 't I be the one to take it um, but there are times where we i think for me the line has become um, a, would our students have an objection to it? We need our, everything we do, we put the students at the heart of our decisions. And um, if there's an organization or a foundation or something, an individual who um, has either specifically alienated our students or, or done something that um, our students would be, you know, ashamed of being associated with. And that's, that's where we We'll draw the line so um, for us it's become kind of that question it's what would our students think um, and then also a little bit of kind of the opportunistic piece like what could we do with this um, so yeah it, it's hard it, it's a question we have regularly uh, and it's a debate that I think every every development director in the country has with their executive director on a regular regular conversation but um, I, I've I, I would love our money to the, the support to be something that our students can be proud of. So um, that seems to be the, the standard at this moment.
2: Yeah, and I think, I'm, I'm sorry, Nathan, we, I'm gonna let you close it now. But I think what's important too is that it's not so much like the cancel culture is just like letting the companies know that as a consumer we have that power to say, I don't agree with your policy. I will take my money elsewhere. Because I think I saw an article today in the Washington Post about, you know, companies who had said that they would not give donations to um, members of Congress who voted for, um, you know, to have the vote not counted when, when Biden won. So people like AT and T and Intel and Cigna so I think maybe having that conversation to say like, no, like we need to see where your money is going because whatever you support at the end of the day is gonna end up impacting our kids. And yep. that's important, so.
3: Absolutely. No, I appreciate that question. And um, yeah, it, I, it's, it's hard. It's a, and I can tell you like, you know, the nonprofit world, it's the external world ask nonprofits to run as lean as possible. And um, as a result, it, it's hard. It's hard to say no to money when it's, like you said, something goes away and all of a sudden you're, you're faced with a, a deficit of X amount of money and how are you going to get there? Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, can you do more with that money than the, than the benefit it may give that other company? I mean, those are tough questions. Um, but we are lucky enough to have a broad support of, of uh, organizations and individuals and companies that we are proud to be associated with right now. So luckily we're not in that situation at the moment, but um, I, I appreciate the question.
0: I think it's a great way to end. Um, we've gotten such you know, revealing information from you about what you're doing in Philadelphia and um, Andy Kusser from Students Run Philly Style, thank you so much. Again, you are the first Philadelphian to be on our show. We're going across the country and across the world. So we'd love to, you know, one day check back and see how you are all doing. Because um, if we can keep the next generation of kids engaged and running in a new way than it's been in the past, that will be a better world for all of us in this sport. So thank you so much. And I want to thank, of course, Inez, and Jamie co-hosts, and everyone else who helps out with the podcast, and that includes the listeners. We will see you next time on Let's Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store, and follow us on Spotify.